You are listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius Podcast. So here we are in the ninth week of studying the book of James. There's only five chapters. So we're taking our time. We are dissecting this book every single week. We're taking just a couple verses and we're looking at those verses so we can understand even deeper into what they're saying. And so this, uh, well, I think it's important that as we study, though, we need to understand some background. Because if you understand the heart of the author, the message is just going to have such a greater impact. And so with James, we already know that he's the half-brother of Jesus. But you know that he didn't believe that his brother was the Messiah. In the book of Mark, we're told that the brothers of Jesus thought that he was out of his mind. In the book of John, we're told that the brothers of Jesus mocked him. When Jesus was on the cross, he's looking down at his mother and he puts her in the care of the disciple John. God, think about that for a second. James was the second oldest brother under Jesus. Why isn't he taking care of his mother? It makes you wonder what his relationship was like with his own mom. Got to wonder what type of tension was in the home with him. But over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it tells us that after the resurrection, the Lord appeared to James. That's all it says. We don't know anything about the encounter. We don't know anything about what happened in that moment. But what we do know is that it was so life-changing and transformational that James dedicated the rest of his life to spreading the gospel until he was martyred in 62 AD. And so when we do some biblical and historical research, we learn more about James. Acts tells us that he was a pillar in the church. It also tells us that he was in the upper room praying for the Holy Spirit, which was the day of Pentecost, which was 50 days after the Passover. So whatever happened in his heart was something instantaneous. We also know that James, this is through historical research, we know that James had a nickname of Old Camel Knees. And it's because he prayed for the Jews so much that he got calluses on his knees. And so here now we've got James, who has this life-changing encounter And I'm telling you, as I read the book of James, and as I learn more about who he was, I have to wonder if this book is his personal testimony. I have to wonder if James is really writing about his difficulty in persevering and enduring and taming the tongue and showing partiality, his difficulty in understanding suffering for the gospel. Maybe he had a frail prayer life, but whatever it was, he turned it around because of one encounter with Jesus. And that is all it takes. It just takes one encounter with Jesus. Let me tell you something. He didn't have other New Testament writers to piggyback off of. This is the first and oldest book of the New Testament. It was written somewhere around 44 to 49 AD. You're talking in as little as 11 years after the resurrection. So he wasn't piggybacking off of other writers in the stuff that he wrote. He was laying the foundation for the church and for the gospel. And I think that James understood the magnitude of denying Jesus as a Messiah. I think he understood the magnitude of missing out on a personal relationship with him. I mean, he grew up 
with the gospel. Like literally, he grew up living with the living, breathing word. And he missed out on it. And I think knowing that drove the passion that he wrote with in this book. I think oftentimes the strengths that are birthed in us come out of our own weaknesses. So we're going to read right now, James. This week we are in chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. I'm going to read from the New King James Version. It says, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed to endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. When I look at these few verses right here, and then I take it and fill it around the whole book of James, what I really see James doing here is he is bringing the mind and the heart in sync. We cannot have a mind and a heart that runs in two different directions. If so, we are going to be an absolute mess. But he's trying to help them understand what serving the gospel looks like because they didn't get it the same way that James didn't get it. And he's talking to the scattered Jews. And yes, the scattering was God's way of mobilizing the gospel. But guess what? Not everybody who scattered mobilized the gospel. Some of them were so afraid of the persecution that they actually left the gospel. They didn't want to deal with it. It was too much. It was too hard. It was too difficult. And so they quit. They left the gospel And they went into hiding. And now here we've got the churches being birthed. And here we are trying to make sure that James is helping them understand the power of the gospel. And here we live 2,000 years later. And I still don't think we understand the full power of the gospel. And we are never going to do that unless we invest ourselves into the full gospel and get the whole story. And so James is telling them, you've got to persevere in suffering. You've got to endure through this suffering. Well, what is suffering? Well, if you look in, if you look in the dictionary, it's just going to tell you that, 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 that suffering is to undergo pain, distress, and hardship. And so we're going to take that definition and say, well, I had to sit on the 77 for several hours. Man, I suffered. We're going to say, I had to sit in the doctor's office for way longer than I really should have because the, the patient log was backed up. And man, this is suffering. Or maybe some of us have a sports team that cannot even win a ball game. I'm an Orioles fan. Boy, we are suffering for years. We look at it and we try to translate suffering like that. But that's not the word that was being used specifically in the New Testament. There were eight New Testament writers. Six of them spoke about suffering. And so when you go back and look at that word that they were using, it literally means to encounter evil. 
And that's a big difference from sitting on the freeway in traffic to Satan plotting against you. A big difference. And so James is trying to help them understand this. And every generation has had a difficult time grasping what suffering for the Lord means. And we've got to understand it on a deeper level if we're going to wrap our minds around why in the world am I even going to persevere and endure if I don't even understand what in the world this suffering is going to do for me. So you're telling me that if I say yes to Jesus, that I'm going to face trials and suffering? Yes. Because when you say yes to Jesus, you say yes to suffering. But when you say yes to suffering, you say yes to growth. And when you say yes to growth, you say yes to the kingdom of God advancing. When you say yes to Jesus, you say yes to suffering. When you say yes to suffering, you say yes to growth. And when you say yes to growth, you say yes to the kingdom of God advancing. James needed them to understand that because he saw what God was doing. They were mobilizing the church. They were spreading the message of God. He saw what his brother went through, even though he didn't believe who he was. But when he encountered Jesus, Jesus, after he was resurrected, oh my gosh, the light bulb went on. This is real, folks. This is real. You've got to endure. You've got to get through this. Listen, the enemy is real. He's just as real as Jesus. And anything that we're doing to advance the kingdom is going to be faced with the enemy getting in the way of our path. Your suffering has a purpose. And if you pull out prematurely, you're going to miss out on everything that God has for you. You can't interrupt the season just by quitting. We've got to wrap our minds around it. Remember, if you say yes to Jesus, you say yes to suffering. If you say yes to suffering, you say yes to growth. If you say yes to growth, you say yes to kingdom advance. What happens when you say no? What happens to kingdom advance? When you say no, what happens when you when you pull out of your season? What do you wind up missing from God? James already told us in one four that you have to let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. He's talking about growth. Paul said in Romans five, three, that we should take joy in our suffering because suffering produces produces perseverance, perseverance, character and character, hope. He's talking about growth. You cannot grow without suffering for the Lord. It's impossible. And so now that we are getting deeper in our faith, I want you to notice I said deeper. I didn't say longer. There's some folks who've been serving God for 20 years, but they're still living their first year of salvation. So really, they've been saved one year 20 times. I'm talking about depth. Oh, it got real quiet. I'm talking about depth. And some of us, we get deeper in our faith and then we start to recognize that we're encountering evil more frequently and it's not making sense. I don't want to have more encounters with the devil. I want to have more encounters with Jesus. But James made sure that he explained that to them and I love that he used Job. I love that he used Job as an example. He had so many Old Testament characters to talk about, but I love that he used Job as an example. And I'm telling you right now, I really believe that we misunderstand the story of Job. I think it's highly misunderstood. I'm just going to give you a brief paraphrase. So the angels are having a meeting. 
And Satan winds up showing up into this meeting and the Lord says to him, where have you come from? And he says, well, I've been roaming back and forth the earth. And what he's really saying is I've just been wreaking havoc. And so then the Lord says, well, have you considered my servant Job? He's blameless and he fears God. And when he says he's blameless, he's not saying he's perfect. To be blameless means he had a repentant heart. He always took his heart before the Lord. That's what that means. And so God is saying, well, have you considered my servant servant Job? And he goes, oh, you know what? But you've got a hedge of protection around him. I can't get to him. You've got a hedge of protection, but I tell you what, you let me get to him and I guarantee you he's going to curse you. God says, go ahead. Have your way. Just, just, Just don't put a finger on him. And so Satan goes out and he destroys everything that Job has. He takes it all. And Job finds out about it. And the Bible says that he fell to the ground in worship. And in this, Job did not sin against the Lord. He worshipped his way through the suffering. You ever wonder if the devil has conversations with God about you? So hold on, so hold on. So it happens again. So the angels get together again and they start talking and then the devil shows up and then God says, where have you been? And he says, I've been roaming around back and forth through the earth. It means he's been wreaking havoc. And he says, well, have you considered my servant Job because he's blameless? And even though you incited me against him to ruin him for no reason, he still fears me. And Job says, well, yeah, because you didn't let me touch his body. But I tell you what, you let me attack him skin for skin. And I tell you right now, he will curse you. Okay. Go ahead. Just spare his life. And so Satan goes out and he, he, attacks, he attacks Job with boils from head to toe. And he breaks out in all these sores. And then Job's wife comes and says, are you still maintaining your integrity? Why don't you curse God and die? And Job says, you foolish woman, do you really think that we should just take what is good from him and not trouble? And the Bible says, and in this, Job did not sin by charging God with any wrongdoing. The King James Version says, and should we not accept evil? See, people read the story of Job and they just think that God was testing him. I disagree with that. I don't think God was testing his mind. I don't think God was testing his heart. I don't think God was testing his integrity. I don't think that that was happening at all. You want to know what I think was happening? I think that God was trusting Job. He knew that Job was going to stand firm and represent the kingdom of God. He knew that by considering Job, God considered Job, not Satan, God considered Job. He knew that the devil was doing what the devil's here to do, wreak havoc on the earth. And God said, well, have you considered 
my servant Job because he's blameless and he fears me. God knew I'm going to pick the best of the best. God knew I'm going to go pick a servant who I know is going to represent my kingdom and represent my kingdom well. I'm going to choose somebody who's going to understand the power of my gospel. I'm going to choose somebody who when they go through suffering, they're going to know exactly who I am and that I am with them all the way through it. So I'm telling you right now that the story of Job is not a, not a story about being tested. It's a story about being trusted. And so if we are going to suffer for the gospel, we have to change our perspective and understand God's not testing us. He's not throwing us to the enemy to destroy us. The enemy is not here to be a threat to us. We are here to be a threat to the enemy. We have to change our perspective. We are here to be a threat to the enemy. There you go. Amen. We're representing his kingdom. And if, if we're suffering through the gospel, we can't be woe is me. It's not about us. It is not about us. I love Rick Warren's book, Purpose Driven Life, First Words, and it, one of the best openings of any book I've ever read. It's not about you. It's not about me. So what is it about? Because we make it about us. We start whining. We start complaining. We quit. We give up. We bow out. We don't want to go through this anymore because we don't understand. We have the wrong perspective of what's happening. And so instead of submitting ourselves to God through the season, we start withdrawing ourselves from him because we don't understand the full gospel. We just pick and choose the pieces that we want. Nobody wants to go invest themselves in to understand suffering. Why would we do such a thing? I don't want to suffer. Jesus didn't even want to suffer. He said, Lord, if you could take this cup and let it pass from me, if there be any other way, yet not your will, yet not my will, but your will be done. And so if we're going to go through these seasons of suffering, we need to make sure that that word is being, that word is coming alive in our heart. We need to declare who we belong to when we go through these seasons. We've got to make sure that we are telling the enemy who we belong to and declare that I am a child of the Most High God. Not withdraw and say, God, why are you putting me through this? No, we have to understand that we are, we are representing his kingdom. I am a child of the Most High. God. We're going to remind the enemy that when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of God raises a standard against him. We're going to remind the enemy that greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. These are the things that we're going to have to do. Look at these are the scriptures that we're teaching our children right now. We can't just quote them. We got to live them. We got to put them into practice. We have to live the gospel. We got to change our perspective. This is what James was doing. He's trying to get into their head because they didn't understand. He's trying to help them understand. You have to represent the kingdom of God. You've got to endure through the suffering. You've got to be a Job. You need to be a threat to the enemy. My son, Ethan, when he was 10 years old, he was playing football. He had these, he had these Superman socks and they would come up to his calves and they had a cap, a cape on the back of them. So when he would run, the cape would flap. And so you could easily identify him on the field. 
And so he had a game where he had scored about three touchdowns, had about two interceptions. So finally, the coach on the other side of the field starts yelling out to his players, watch out for the kid wearing the Superman socks. Because they knew that he was a threat to the team. Are you being a threat to the enemy or are you letting the enemy be a threat to you? It's all about perspective. It is all about perspective. And this is where we look. We look back and we have to be challenged. It's the only way we're going to grow is through being challenged. It's not going to happen any other way. We are only going to grow through being challenged. I wish James could see today how far the church has come because of what he wrote in this letter. I wish that he could see what his work has done. I want you to understand something. That suffering for the gospel is not a punishment for serving the gospel. Suffering for the gospel is not a punishment for serving the gospel. Suffering is a requirement of serving the gospel. It's a requirement. We cannot be victorious in Christ without suffering. The devil is not going to allow our victories to be that easy. He is out here every single day killing, stealing, and destroying Christ's followers every single day. Every single day. Day, we have got to be a threat to the enemy. Remember, if you say yes to Jesus, you say yes to suffering. If you say yes to suffering, you say yes to growth. And if you say yes to growth, you say yes to kingdom advance. Listen, the devil is wreaking havoc in our families in our schools, in our communities, in our media, in our church. And we've got to have the perspective that we have to stop running away from the devil. James did not say, resist the devil and he will flee. He said, submit yourselves to God, then resist the devil and he will flee. But I hear people say all the time, resist the devil and he will flee. That is not what the Bible says. There you go, picking and choosing again. Because we don't invest ourselves into the full story. Let me tell you what, some folks are divorced because they didn't submit their marriage to the Lord. The devil came in and wreaked havoc. And they didn't know how to go to war. And so they quit. There are relationships in our families, parents and children and siblings and, 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 and extended family members who don't even talk to each other because the enemy got into the nucleus of the family and wreaked havoc and the family didn't submit their relationship to the Lord. And so they quit. They quit on the relationship. There are people in here who had dreams and visions and aspirations to do things in their career. But because, but, but because the hardships of starting your own business or venturing out were just too much. But because you looked and didn't see Jehovah Jireh as your provider. The enemy got into your head and said, you don't have what it takes. You don't even have the money to get this off the ground. You don't even have the resources. And you didn't remind him who Jehovah Jireh is. And so you quit. You let the enemy get into your head. And here James is, he's training him. He doesn't want the enemy in their head. 
He saw them scattering. He saw that they were afraid. He saw that they were quitting. He saw that they were hiding. And he's saying, no, 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 no. No, don't let that enemy get into your head. You need to know. You need to know that God is with you in this suffering. God is not going to let us out to suffer and leave us alone. He is not going to do that to us. He is with us. He is with us through all of it. And I want you to understand something right now. I'm going to put a disclaimer on this. I am not talking about sin. So when I'm talking about suffering, I am not talking about as a consequence to any sin. The enemy is wreaking havoc and has a hold on you because of sin. You need to break that hold and get out of that sin through repentance, not an apology, through repentance, which is turning away from it. I am not talking about sin. So you've got a marriage that's struggling because somebody's having an extramarital affair. That's sin. That needs to get out. So some people want to say, oh, I'm suffering. Well, you're suffering because you're engaged in sin. You're in, you're in bondage to sin. I'm not talking about that. We've got to get rid of the sin. But if we're going to suffer, if we're going to suffer for the gospel, then we're going to understand the equation. That if I'm going to suffer for the gospel, then I'm going to, repre- I'm going to represent your kingdom, and I'm going to represent it well. And listen, I know, I know, I know it's not easy. But you want to know what else I know? He always wins. He never loses. I'm a gamer. I love playing games. I play a vicious game of Uno. I love catchphrase. I love playing taboo. I love games. We play games at, at home at dinner, and I always tell my kids, do you want to win? You need to be on my team. You need to be on daddy's team. But God never loses. He never loses. So I'll tell you what, if I had to choose, if I had to choose teams and pick a life where I never suffered versus a life where I have to suffer but know I'm going to grow and know I'm going to advance the kingdom and know I'm going to win, you better believe I'm going to choose that side because I don't want to be anywhere that Jesus isn't. I don't want to be anywhere that Jesus isn't. And so James is saying, have patience. you got to endure and persevere. And he talked about the farmer. He says the same way that the farmer waits. He said for the early and the latter rains. He's talking about the season. you got to wait the whole season. I don't know how long your season is. It could be a couple months. It could be a couple years. I don't know. But you just can't pull out. You can't pull out. And we have to, I'm telling you, God, pray these dangerous prayers during this season. And these dangerous prayers are this, Lord, don't let me out until I get everything you want. Everything you have for me. I've been in seasons like that. They're hard. They're tough. But I tell you what, now that I'm out, I am so glad I went through it because it brought me so much closer to the Lord. So much closer to the Lord. And so now, James is saying you have to understand that the Lord is coming back. He's coming back. This is where we look up and then we're calm because we know that the Lord is coming back. And you want to know something? Every generation since Adam and Eve believed in their generation that he's coming back. And I'm going to tell you right now, I believe that we are the generation that's going to see him come back. I believe that we are the generation that's going to fly in the sky. I've already declared I'm not dying. I'm going in the rapture. I believe that we are the generation who's going to experience him. But nonetheless, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is coming back. 
He's coming back. He's coming back. Then this is what James is saying. You persevere because he's coming back. We don't stop because he's coming back. He's coming back. You have to believe that. He is coming back. So now James, he's got their head now. He's got their head. He's got their mind. Tell them to persevere. Tell them, not, tell them, tell them to persevere. Tell them to, to endure. And so now he says, now you need to establish your hearts. You've got to establish your hearts. This is where we've got to look in. This is where we've got to be clean. We have to make sure that our hearts are pure because the Bible says that the pure in heart shall see him. When I was in college, I was really good friends with this girl, and, and we really liked each other. We never dated. Everybody thought that we were dating, but we really liked each other. We spent a lot of time together, and I was a year ahead of her in college, and so as I was you know, winding down into uh, getting close to graduation, I started to pray. I said, Lord, you know, I'm going to be graduating, and I like this girl, and so I like to know what to do with this relationship. And I asked permission, may I pursue her? And the Lord immediately answered me. And he said, no. I didn't like that answer. Because I like this girl, but he said no. Okay. Well, now I go off for, for uh, a summer. I went out to California to do an internship. And so we kept in touch all summer. And so now it's time for me to go back, drive all the way across country. And it was a five-day trip. And so uh, right before I left, her and I had had a really fun conversation. I think we talked for like three hours on the phone. And so I got in the car, and so I start driving. And so every day for five days, I said, you know what, Lord? Maybe I didn't hear you. <laughs> Maybe I didn't hear you. Maybe the timing was off, but, you know, but, we get along so well, and we have so much fun together. Are you sure Like I can't pursue this relationship? He didn't answer me this time. So I drive all the way across, and the first stop I made, I didn't even go home. I went straight to see her. So I get out of the car, I go see her, she was at work, and when I looked at her, it was like looking at a stranger. And I was, I was so disappointed and I got in the car, and I thought, well, okay, I, I guess that's your answer. So I wind up graduating, and I move out to California. And we still kept in touch. And there was one particular day that we were talking on the phone, and we had talked for over an hour, and she's telling me everything that's going on in her world, and I'm telling her everything that's going on in my world. And we were just encouraging each other, and I thought, wow. This was, was such a great conversation. And so I, I'm leaving. It's the end of the day. And so I get in the elevator and I think, you know what, God? I know I've already asked you twice. And, and I think you said no, but you know what? I'm going to be a Gideon right now because I need a sign. I need a sign. And so I'm, I'm, I'm in an elevator. And so the door is open. So I'm walking through the garage and I'm thinking, I need a sign right now. Like, I want it right now. And so I start to think, oh, I got it. I got it. I know what I'm going to ask for. So I am literally walking. So, so I'm underground, and my car is sitting on a ramp. So I got to get under the garage and go up the ramp. And so I said, if I get out to my car and it's purple, I know that I am never to pursue this girl. 
I said that. This, I said that. I said my car is purple. And let me tell you something right now. The moment I said that, I knew that my car was not going to be purple. So I'm going to tell you what, I'm walking through that garage with a little bit of a strut. I'm so excited and I can't wait to get to my car. And so I'm coming out, I'm coming out, I'm coming out like this and I can't wait. So I come and I turn the corner to look at my car. Oh. I drive a 1998 SL1 gold Saturn. And there it is. I see it. There's my Saturn. And parked right next to me was the same model Saturn. In purple! It was purple. There was a purple Saturn sitting right next to my Saturn. And that car was not there when I pulled in. I was the only car in the parking lot. There was a purple Saturn parked right next to mine. This is a true story. I stood there at the edge of the, the garage and I'm like, you win. You win. I, I will never ask you again. And I never did. I never did. I said, you're real funny too. But look, here's the truth. I was manipulating God. I knew what I was doing. I was going to come up with the most ridiculous thing that I knew was not going to happen because I wanted what I wanted. I was willing to damage my relationship with God to get what I wanted. And he wanted to protect his relationship with me to get what he wanted. I am so grateful he did that because you know what? I would have pursued this girl. It would have turned into a mess and I would have turned around just like Adam and I would have blamed him. And I would have said, but you told me. You told me. I asked you for a sign. You gave me the sign that I asked for. You told me that it was okay to go into this relationship. But he was protecting me. He was protecting me from that. And so here's the thing is that we have to be rooted in our hearts with a firm foundation in the gospel because if we don't, then we're only going to spread a contaminated version. Let me tell you what, some people think, oh, well, you know, that's, just, that's not that big of a deal. It's just, it's just a little bit of manipulation. No, it's just a little bit of a white lie. Let me tell you what, they're the most dangerous ones because they're the ones we keep doing over and over and over and over and over again. So what do you think is filling our hearts? We can't, we can't think that, oh, it's only the major sins that count against us. Sin is sin. Sin is sin. And so if we allow that sin to be down in our hearts, then we're only going to spread a contaminated version of the gospel. I don't want to do that. I don't want to spread a contaminated version of the gospel. I want to make sure that my heart is pure. When God considered Job, it was because he had a blameless heart that meant he was repentant. It meant he always had his heart in check with God. Always had his heart in check with God. So we've got to make sure that our hearts are anchored. I think there's five things. Worship. Got to have a heart of worship. And look, this is great when we show up on Sundays and we have a beautiful time in worship. But it's got to go beyond what we do in this building. Worship is anything that glorifies God. Can you sit outside on your porch on a, on a rainy day? 
and acknowledge how beautiful God's creation is? Can you wake up in the morning and give God glory for waking you up for another day? Can you just drive and whether you're in traffic or not, just say, my God, you are so good. A heart of genuine, authentic worship. He doesn't have to do anything. We just acknowledge how awesome and amazing he is. We've got to have a heart of worship. We've got, we got to have a heart that knows the word. I love devotionals and I think they're great, but they're just snacks. Our soul needs the word. Our soul needs the full meal. We have got to be spending time in the word, especially if we're going to be going up against the enemy. We got to have a foothold over top of him. We got to have that word living deep inside of us. Again, we can't think that coming on a Sunday is enough. This is not enough for you. This is not enough. No, you've got to have the word living and breathing inside of you every single day on a daily basis. You've got to have prayer. I'm not talking about the prayers of petition. Yes, that's okay. Bible tells us it's okay. Obviously, we need to take our petitions before the Lord. But I'm talking about a heart of prayer that moves the kingdom. I'm talking about a heart of prayer that is advancing the kingdom here on earth. I'm talking about a heart of prayer that when you hear the news, you just begin to pray. Jesus, cover that situation. When you're driving and you stop at a crosswalk and there's people standing on the corner, my God, I pray for their salvation. Heart of prayer. When you hear sirens go by, Lord, we, we, just, we plead the blood of Jesus over that situation right now. A heart of prayer that is just so natural and so genuine to just call on the name of Jesus in all circumstances. It will become so natural. You'll be standing in elevators with people just praying. I'm not saying that you have to turn around and pray and, and, and make an uncomfortable situation. You don't have to do that. You just have direct communication between you and God. People standing in the elevator. It just becomes so natural. Do you know what a blessing it is for those people? And they don't even need to know it. But to know that God has prayer warriors all over the earth who are praying over every circumstance and every situation. That's got to be anchored in our hearts. Fellowship. It is so important that we are in fellowship with believers. Yes, we can be friends with those who are non-believers. I'm not saying that we can't, but we got to be careful of where our influences come from. We get together here because we need to edify each other. This is why the church exists. This is why we get together. We have to edify each other. We have to make sure that we are in fellowship and being edified in our relationships. And then our service we have to serve others with no desire to get anything else out of it. It is simply an act of Jesus. We serve to mobilize the gospel. We serve to mobilize the gospel. If we can build a heart that worships, that knows the word and, and, and is immersed in the word and prayer and fellowship and service and make sure that that heart stays pure, then we are establishing our hearts to mobilize the gospel. We are establishing our hearts to be a firm foundation so that when we go through any form of suffering, that we can truly represent the kingdom of God. Now watch this, what the mind thinks and what the heart feels comes out of our mouths. 
Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So we've got to look forward and be consistent. When he said, let your yes be yes and your no be no, it was because during that time in that culture, everybody would say something and they would go do all this stuff to put an oath together. And he says, you don't have to do that. Don't, don't go through all that. If you said you're going to do it, do it. That's it. Just stay true to your word. Just be consistent. If you say you're going to serve, serve. Show up. If you say you're going to do it, do it. And we don't do these things out of religiosity. Look, we've got to take religion out of the gospel. Religion is man-made. We've got to take religiosity out of the gospel. This is not about religion. It is about Jesus. And so we have to understand that, that to live and spread the gospel is not a role just for pastors. If we're going to live and spread the gospel, it is a role for every single person who has accepted Jesus as their Savior. Every single one of us has a responsibility of spreading the gospel. James, the oldest book in the New Testament. This is, this is the foundation of birthing the church right here. This isn't, look, you go back and you really study this book. See, when Paul wrote, he would, he would send words of encouragement and this and that. James didn't do that. He got right, it's a very corrective letter. He got right to it. So he was laying the foundation. He was laying the foundation for it. And so we have to understand what our role is in all of this. There is purpose in your suffering. And if you just continue through it and persevere, we're going to see that the kingdom of God is going to grow. And look, James, and not just James, but so did Paul. So did the other New Testament writers. Remember, six of them wrote about suffering. And James paints the Christian life with suffering, with trials, with temptations. It is not easy. It is not the easy route. The gospel is not the easy route. It's the peaceful route because he's with us he's with us he's walking with us and look here James is just a piece of the story there's 65 other books that tell God's story let me tell you what every single one of us is a piece of God's story we got a testimony about what he's doing in our lives and we need to share that testimony and we need to spread it but we have to invest ourselves into the whole story. Look, I want the goodness of God, and we sang about it this morning. I want the goodness of God so much, but I also want to grow. And I also want to see His kingdom advance here on earth. And because of that, because I said yes to Jesus, I said yes to suffering. Because I say yes to suffering, I say yes to growth. Because I say yes to growth. I say yes to kingdom advance. Let's stand this morning. I hope and pray that our minds were able to peel into just a, a little bit of a deeper realm of the gospel. I hope that our hearts have been opened up to an understanding of what it means to live and serve the gospel. I tell my children, LLSS, you got to love the gospel, live the gospel. You got to serve the gospel, share the gospel. Every day, LL, 
SS. I'll tell you what, the devil's wreaking havoc in our world. We need to be praying for the body of Christ. We have got to be praying for our schools and our children. I don't care who you voted for. We need to be praying for the leaders in office. We need to be praying that the Holy Spirit fill our White House and our offices all around the world. We need to be praying for revival. And it's got to start right here. It's got to start with me. We've got to be praying for revival. Lord, let it start right here. Just let it ignite right here. And then let it spread. Listen, if you're here this morning, we're going to call our prayer team forward. We call our prayer team forward. If you're here this morning and you were like some of those scattered Jews who, was, who got afraid of the persecution and didn't want to deal with it anymore and left the gospel, you want to rededicate your heart. Today's the day. Maybe you're here and you have never fully committed yourself to the gospel. Today can be the day. Maybe you're going through a season of suffering right now and you just can't seem to wrap your mind around the things that are happening to you and you don't fully understand them. We're going to pray with you today. And today's the day for breakthrough. Today, we have to declare that today is the day that I walk in victory no matter what you're going through because he's with you. So we're going to invite you to come up and, and with our, with our uh, prayer team is up here. And I'm just going to close us out in prayer right now. I'm just going to pray, Father, we are so grateful for this morning, Lord God. We are grateful for your gospel, Lord. We are grateful that you have entrusted us. That you have entrusted us to spread your gospel. And Lord, we first and foremost want to come and repent where we may have been spreading a contaminated gospel or just bits and pieces and versions of it to where we have idolatrized it. Lord, we repent. We pray that we would have a blameless heart the same way you declared that Job had a blameless heart. Father, that's what we pray for ourselves as well. Lord, we ask that you would change the perspective in our minds. Help us to understand that when we suffer, it's for the season of, it's for the reason of growth. And that when we suffer, the kingdom of God advances when we endure to the very end. Help us to understand, Lord, that you're coming back. Help us to understand that you are in the midst of our trials and sufferings right now. Help us to understand that we have access to your presence right now, Lord. Lord God. Father, we pray for revival, Lord. Let it begin in us, Lord God. We pray that revival would break out in our minds. We pray that it would break out in our hearts, Lord God. We pray that it would break out in our church, and then in our community, and then in our state, and then in our nation, and then in our world, Lord God. All around the earth, my God, we pray for revival in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. And God, we rebuke the enemy right now. We pray for the strength, Lord God, that when we battle him, that we would be able to rebuke 
him, Lord God. We pray that we would submit ourselves to you that he, and, and resist him that he may flee. But God, we rebuke the havoc that he is wreaking in our homes, in our schools, in our government, in our churches, in our children. My God, we rebuke it in the name of Jesus. Lord, have your way. Have your way, have your way, have your way. My God, we are so grateful for you being an almighty, risen Lord and Savior. We are so grateful for that. Lord, we love you this morning and we pray that as we leave here today, Lord God, that we will walk in your presence. We pray that as we leave here today, Lord God, that we will walk with a renewed mind and a renewed heart, ready and willing to represent your kingdom. May your will be done in Jesus name. Amen. For information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions and more. Visit us at gracecovenant.org.